we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikori, and I'm executive director of the center. And what we're going to talk about today is the U visa. U is in the letter U, not Y-O-U, but the letter U because we're almost out of alphabet letters for the visa. I think we're down at, we have a V. I don't think we have a W yet, but pretty soon we're going to run out of letters of the alphabet. Maybe then we'll go to the Greek alphabet or something. But this is what was originally you know, intended to be a relatively small thing, and it's actually kind of started to grow out of control. It's for victims of crime. And there's a whole process, hoops you have to jump through in order to get this visa. And it has unfortunately kind of turned into just the latest vehicle for legalizing illegal aliens. And here to talk about what it is and what are the issues surrounding the U visa, we have two of our analysts, Jessica Vaughn and John Fury, who have worked on this and written about this a good deal. And this is something that is going to be an issue going forward because the numbers now have become big enough that it's not just some little niche thing. This is actually a significant part of the immigration system, a significant vehicle for amnesty because the people who get this are illegal immigrants who have supposedly been victimized by crime. So it's definitely an issue that needs some more publicity and more discussion. So thanks guys for coming in. And let's start with Jessica. If you could just tell us just sort of the Cliff Notes version of what is the U visa? How many are there? What's the point of it? What's going on? Sure, Mark. Yes. And this is going to become potentially a much more significant problem than it is already. First of all, because of the massive scale of recent illegal migration into the United States, the lack of Un- unrelated to U visa, right? But now right. It's, a, Just it's like raw material for more U visas. Right. Some of the people who are streaming over the border now are tomorrow's U visa applicants. Right. The reason this is timely is because our understanding is that the Biden administration is planning some regulatory action on this, and and I know this will shock you, but it won't be helping fix the program. Of course. So the U visa was created by Congress in 2000 as part of the Violence Against Women Act. The primary purpose of the U visa is to assist law enforcement agencies in prosecuting criminals by allowing victims of crime who lack immigration status to stay here and to be helpful to the prosecution of those crimes. And the requirement is that The illegal alien have been, well, they're mostly illegal aliens, not all, but most applicants are here illegally, that they have been a victim of certain serious crimes, that they were traumatized because of that victimization, and that they agree to be helpful to the law enforcement agency in prosecuting the perpetrator of the crime. So the primary purpose was to help law enforcement agencies. And yet, 
a majority of law enforcement agencies, according to a report that John's going to talk about more, don't believe that the program is achieving its objectives. Congress also limited the number of these visas to 10,000 each year. Right. And for the first several years of the program, up until about 2010, there were only about 10,000 applicants each year. All of a sudden, in 2011, we started to see the numbers go up, the number of annual applicants, to the point where under the Obama administration at the peak of this program, there were almost 40,000 applications a year. Wow. And because there's a limit on the annual issuances, USCIS cannot actually issue the final U visa. Now there is a pending backlog of 315,000 applications for U visas, including the dependents of the original applicant. So this is becoming one of the larger green card programs that we have as far as one particular category. So they can get a green card at the end of the process. Yes. And and this is important, too. The, The way it works is that from the moment that an alien files the application, they are entered into the system and they get a halo of protection from deportation and a work permit. Just for applying. Just for filing. This is before anything is adjudicated, before there are any requests for evidence, additional evidence, before anybody really looks at whether or not it's a bona fide or qualified applicant, they get the benefits of this. And that's one of the reasons why it's so popular. And that's why we're starting to see so many more applications. Because and the interesting thing here is just as a sort of a side note to put it in context, a lot of people dispute the idea that the illegal population is only 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 million saying, well, it must be 20 or 30 million. This is one of the ways, a smaller one, but one of the many ways that people stop being illegal aliens because it is essentially a kind of rolling amnesty program. And if it's 10,000 a year and it's been going on since 2000, that's a lot of people who are illegal immigrants who are no longer in the illegal count. Well, and it's 30,000 a year now. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. That are applying. Applying, yeah, right. They can only grant 10,000 a year. Right. I can give you some more additional data on that. So in 2014, there were nearly 79,000 pending petitions, applications. As of fall 2021, there were over 285,000 petitions. And as Jessica's mentioned, we're now up to, what, 315,000. Wow. As of the so end these, of 2022. So these are people who have gotten work permits. They're essentially, it's not the same program at all, but it's kind of like parole or DACA in the sense that you don't have permanent status yet. But you have your work permit and a social security number, so frankly, for you, what difference does it make? And frankly, ICE is not going to necessarily yeah. deport you unless there's a real serious reason to do so. You're basically hands off right. here in the United States. You said it's an amnesty. It is. It's an amnesty that takes advantage of our generosity as a country. Right. We want to do the right thing. We want to help out people who have legitimate cases that need to be prosecuted. But let me give you a couple more numbers just to look at it from an annual basis, because those were t- total numbers right there. But in 2009... There were just under 11,000 U-Visa applications filled in that year. In 2017, only a handful of years later, 63,000 U-Visa applications were filed in just 2017. So did the activist groups discover this somehow? In other words, that seems like a pretty rapid increase. Well, it's in not a, a coincidence. You're right. Time. Well, in other words, do we, is there something we can point to? For instance, yeah. the surge of unaccompanied minors followed pretty closely after a change in the law that relates to unaccompanied minors. So what happened with the U visas? The Obama administration embarked on a campaign 
They used fee money from applications from legal immigrants to create a campaign to go around the country holding seminars for immigration lawyers and for law enforcement agencies, literally promoting this program as an avenue, almost as an entitlement for anybody who could make a plausible claim to be the victim of a crime. So that's why we saw so many more happen under the Obama administration. It's directly linked to their promotion campaign. Interesting. The other thing that happened is that some states passed laws attempting to kind of rig the process to tell law enforcement agencies that they really need to approve these. In the case of California, a very strict law that all but says they have to do it, even though federal law says they do not have to sign these certifications because the process starts with a law enforcement agency. The illegal alien who wants to apply has to ask a law enforcement agency to certify that they have been a victim of a certain crime and that they are traumatized and that they're going to be helpful in the prosecution. The law enforcement agency is under no obligation to do that, but the California law tries to tie the hands of law enforcement agencies to tell them that they really do have to do it. And not only that, they have to do it within a certain number of days. Interesting. And that's why it should be no surprise that more than one third of the applications come from the state of California. And so if the local law enforcement agency doesn't sign off, then there's no work permit, there's no nothing, right? In other words, that's the first step that has to happen. Right. Interesting. And Immigrants, illegal immigrants in particular, are going to be concentrated in sanctuary cities where there's going to be a political pressure on law enforcement to encourage this kind of thing. So in a sense, it really does sort of have a built-in dynamic to it. It's become more of an entitlement right? Yeah, to, in certain circles, or, or they try to present it as an entitlement. And just before I get to John, I wanted you to talk on some of the studies that have, because there's been some government research on this, but the criminal, the perpetrator, can be an illegal alien himself, right? So it could be illegal aliens preying on other illegal aliens who are genuinely could be victimized. I mean, obviously, you know, just because you're an illegal alien doesn't mean somebody can't come and beat you up or steal your money or whatever. But it's one illegal alien victimizing another illegal alien, and then one of them gets a green card because of that. Absolutely. That's happened. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm sure it happens. Whether it's, you know, drug dealers or sometimes they're accusing U.S. citizens also. Those are the legitimate cases, I I assume you're inferring. But, of course, there are illegitimate cases where, you know, there's one case that got a lot of coverage, Euridia Hernandez Linares, age 36. She was indicted in November 2019, later pled guilty of masterminding fake assaults for the purposes of obtaining U visas for her friends. Wow. Well, it turns out she herself and a different friend were a beneficiary of the U visa years prior. So she figured out that this was a pretty easy thing to do. Wow. So did she actually hire somebody to kind of theatrically beat up somebody and then they call the police? Yes. They, what they did was they cut themselves with box cutters, superficial cuts across the arm. Uh, and that's what she, I believe, first did with she and her friend. But then all of a sudden, all these stories started coming out about these attacks by uh, men with box cutters. And there were all these news uh, releases that had to be released by the police departments. They thought there was an actual series of crimes sure, going on right. in their town. This is a horrible thing, of course. I and mean, the damage that's being done to society with fake crimes is, is, is difficult to calculate. But the incentive that the U visa creates to do this is so large that we're, we're seeing this happen across the U.S. So the local police department puts out a bunch of press releases about armed robberies, three different days, two victims each day. 
the man and a woman reported to the police that they were on a trail near some apartments where the original U visa beneficiary lived. Coincidentally. Yeah. Total coincidence. Two men approached them from behind, brandished the knife. They reported being grabbed by the neck and robbed of their purses. Man said his wallet was stolen. And then, of course, not too long after that, they go to the police department and say, look, you know, we need to get a U visa so we can help you solve these crimes. And also, we feel very uh, emotionally traumatized by all of this. So the law specifically says they need to be traumatized? Yes. But I mean, what what does that even mean? I mean, uh, honestly, somebody breaks into your house and you're not there and they steal something. That's a violation. I mean, that's that itself is kind of, in a sense, if you're not traumatized, then nobody committed a crime against you. You know what I mean? In other words, uh, I don't know. It just strikes me as gratuitous and silly. Well, it's one of the things that theoretically USCIS, if it wanted to really take a tough line and reining in the abuse of this program, could try to adjudicate. And if there were less gravity, I could run right. faster. And they usually submit affidavits of like how they went to see a psychiatrist or I've seen some <laughs> of the affidavits. Sometimes it's just like, you know, I can't go out at night anymore kind of things that people right. say. And it may be true. Yeah, right. But that's an element that they need to demonstrate. I'll give you another example. In August of 2021 in Pennsylvania, Vina Yakamura Patel, 31, Indian National, here on a business visa. Well, he was accused, uh, and I believe trial might still be ongoing, uh, accused of being involved in a scheme to obtain U visas for himself and some of his friends. So in his case, he's not an illegal alien, but he's here on a temporary visa, and this mm-hmm. would be a way to get permanent. Correct. Although yeah. some of the people uh, were also here illegally, some of okay. the potential beneficiaries. So what happened with him? Well, he had much of them posed as victims of staged robberies. The robber was provided with pellet guns, cash payments, directions to stores, and instructions how to commit these quote-unquote crimes. The victims would then go and notify the police. They would tell healthcare providers that they had been injured or suffered emotional distress, and then encourage a local attorney to prepare applications for U visas. There was a fake robbery at a convenience store where cash and cigarettes were supposedly taken from them. Patel himself told healthcare providers he had left knee pain and anxiety as a result of the robbery. Please, here, fill out this U visa application for me. Another one of the quote unquote victims visited a different healthcare provider in Indianapolis. It's just, this is multi state involvement here in the same scheme. Fake arm robberies are a classic. But of course, he also claimed he was suffering from anxiety and depression from that robbery. The thing about this is that the, the fraud to me seems so easy to commit that the law itself was written poorly and needs to be tightened up. It's not like a marriage fraud case where you have to like find someone, take some pictures on the beach with them, pretend that you know them. Right. Memorize what toothpaste they use, et cetera. Right. Right. And, and marriage fraud is kind of a thing that's been around for quite some time. You know, this is such an easy thing for people to obtain, just filling out paperwork. But the trauma that's created to the society, again, is so large. I mean, what were the cops doing and the investigators doing? Uh, what should they have been doing? What other cases were going on, actually legitimate cases that they were ignoring? Well, that's exactly right. And this is a cost to law enforcement agencies right. that is a diversion from appropriate use of their resources. And not only that, just now, because this is such a racket in some places, an agency has to devote, you know, one person to dealing with all of these applications all the time, reviewing them. Right. They're entangled in this visa program in a way that they don't necessarily feel is helpful to them in their mission of prosecuting crimes, investigating crimes, 
keeping people safe. And yet their voice is never heard in discussions about U visas. It's always about that, you know, we need to allow more crimes to qualify. We need more visas every year. We need them to be easier to get, you know, dominated by the advocacy groups when really law enforcement agencies are expected to play a role in this and to know advancement of their mission. It seems to me that, I mean, we'll get to sort of what we're supposed to do about it, but the real issue here is that there's a green card at the end Mm -hmm. rather than just, okay, you get to stay until the trial is over sort of thing. Right. And there's another thing too, is that once you file your U visa application, you can petition for your family members to also get that um, protection from deportation. And as it turns out, according to an internal audit of the program that was done under the Trump administration that was ordered by folks, something like half of the applicants do file for family members. Mm -hmm. But they delved into some of these applications and discovered that sometimes the problem was really the family member who was being protected. For example, they were finding out that a lot of the family members had gang ties, gang affiliations documented, sometimes a criminal history as a juvenile. And so this person is now who would have no other path to a green card is here getting status on the basis of suddenly their mother was the victim of a crime and petitioned for them. So it's criminals using an anti-crime program to basically get work permits and social security numbers. And a criminal history is not going to disqualify you from getting a U visa. This audit found that half of the applicants or their family members had ident hits, which meant either that they'd had a criminal arrest or an immigration arrest. Mm -hmm. Something like 10% of them had already been busted for immigration fraud. Right. And one really concerning thing that they found by looking at these applications was that 1.5% of the people who got U visas had gang ties, documented ties to gangs. And that sounds like a small percentage, but that's thousands of people. And most of them actually haven't gotten the U visa yet, but they're on this waiting list. They've gotten permission to live here through this program. Right. You know, I want to go back to something that Jessica just said that I think is worth repeating, which is that it is these sheriffs that are being pulled into this fraud scheme and being forced to fill out applications. This is a federal program that Congress created it, and then they stepped away, and they let fraud grow. They let DHS not do the type of oversight that should be required. And now these sheriffs are, are feeling that they have to fill out applications. They don't, although I guess in some states maybe they do. But you know, Jessica mentioned- No, never do they have to. No, but he was saying that, but that California law basically tries to force them to do it? Tries to. Yeah, but, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's one point. Sheriffs do not have to fill these out, and sheriffs can withdraw at any time. It's important for all sheriffs to understand that. Some data that, that Jessica had mentioned, this is from a survey that the DHS Inspector General's office did of law enforcement agencies. They found that of 57 certifying law enforcement agencies across the U.S., they indicated the program, the U visa program, was not helpful for solving crimes. Now, again, just so we're very clear here, the whole point of a U visa is to let the person who is deportable remain in the U.S. so that the sheriff's departments can use that person as a witness to prosecute the case. Obviously, if you're trying to prosecute some sort of 
horrific crime and your key witnesses, your victims are deported, it's going to be hard to win that case. That's the whole point of the U visa, and there's a perfectly reasonable rationale for it. But according to the DHS OIG survey of these 57 law enforcement agencies, 61% said the program does not significantly improve their ability to investigate and solve crimes. And 54% of them believe that petitioners abuse the program. 43% of said the administrative burden of participating in the program outweighs the benefits gained. Right. And some of them said that the U visa program is not helpful because the requests are often old or they're closed cases, staged crimes, as we stated a moment ago, exaggerated injuries. But as Jessica was pointing out, we were talking about this earlier, you know, some of these crimes occurred or alleged are alleged to have occurred in different states than where the alien is going to seek a sheriff's signature on paperwork. Hmm. Or, you know, even another place within the same state. There is definitely forum shopping that goes oh, on. And I hear I this see. from law enforcement agencies all the time. Like somebody walks in from the next county and they're going to, they, you know, a lot of them are skeptical about these. You know, there are many sheriffs and police chiefs who do not feel comfortable just rubber stamping these certifications. Right. But that's a classic thing. You know, why are you asking me to do this? You must have been rejected by my buddy down, down the it's road. It's interesting. You know, the first thing that I thought of when, because this is supposed to help law enforcement, basically it's kind of a lottery ticket if you've been victimized for crime or at least can pretend to be a victimized for crime. It's almost like putting your neck brace on after your accident and saying that you got whiplash. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. And presumably this is driven by immigration lawyers. I mean, some regular person who may actually have been victimized, they don't know what, they, they don't know what to do. It's, uh, in other words, this is kind of, it's sort of a take on ambulance chases. Yes. Almost. And, and there's our, a significant share of them who are applying for these and say that they, either were before or are currently in deportation proceedings. Oh, that's interesting. And so, you know, so they have like a lawyer who says, this is the only option I can find for you. I see. So <laughs> let's throw it up against the wall and see what sticks, basically. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I mean, John? I look at this kind of to your original point, Mark, about humanitarian programs and fraud generally. I look at the U-Visa program now as just another program that started as a humanitarian program in concept, good rationale, that's been exploited by the immigration bar, by the attorneys, by foreign nationals, no different than programs like our asylum laws. You know, Americans are very generous people. If someone comes to our border, they're fleeing persecution, we're going to hear them out. But as we see happening on our borders right now, we have people from 180 different countries now claiming that they're fleeing persecution from every corner of the globe. And we're supposed to just accept it when they say their magic words at the border, we allow them and they disappear. That's not what we intended with an asylum policy ever. Same thing with temporary protective status, TPS. We're not going to send an alien back home if their country is dealing with some sort of calamity, some natural disaster. Well, it makes sense from a humanitarian perspective, but as I'm sure a lot of our listeners are well aware, we are still giving out quote-unquote temporary protective status to illegal aliens today who happen to be in the U.S. when a hurricane hit Central America in 1998. It was a horrible hurricane. People died. But it was 1998. <laughs> it was yeah. 1998. And the whole point is temporary protected status. It's supposed to be for temporary conditions. And it makes a person who thinks that those ideas are decent really 
become opposed to them as a whole. Why, why are we doing TPS? I find myself asking anymore. Mm-hmm. If we can't have a temporary program, then we can't have a temporary program. Right. That's the way I'm starting to feel about asylum. That's the way I'm starting to feel about the U visa program too. I mean, if Congress doesn't get this under control, we can't rely on just the sheriff to save us from this. It's really unfair to them. If Congress can't get this under control, we're just, we're never going to see this program improve. I mean, and what's the rationale for a green card, really? I mean, in other words, that's sort of the jackpot part of it. It's one thing to say, okay, well, you know, you get to stay. But I mean, in a sense, that's what parole is for anyway, to let someone in who has no right to be here so that they can, among other things, testify at a trial. That was one of the original uses of parole that has been so abused under the Biden administration. And that's the thing. If Congress were to do away with U visas, there still would be this tool of parole in meritorious cases that will be helpful to law enforcement agencies where we want someone to be able to stay, but they don't have to necessarily live here for the rest of their life. Right. And bring their relatives and all the rest of it. Now, sometimes that, you know, they have been used to good effect in certain prosecutions as an incentive for an informant, for example, against a gang or something like that. But they should be very small in number. Mm-hmm. It should not be because your purse was snatched right. or people have tried to get them and have gotten them for witnessing crimes and mm-hmm. being traumatized. Right. But until Congress realizes that this program should go, there are things that can be done, I think, to minimize the abuse of the program. Before we get to the details, we want to mention something about what the Chicago Police Department is dealing with that. This is a new story that just came to my attention. The Attorney General of Illinois has announced that it is considering taking action against the Chicago Police Department because an advocacy group in Chicago has alleged that Chicago PD was rejecting too many U visa applications. And I think their rejection rate was something like 50%. Okay. And they are alleging that under state law, they are required to approve these. They're, they're saying that the Chicago PD was inappropriately determining that the victim had not suffered trauma or, you know, coming up with all these reasons that, that they think Chicago PD was required to approve these under Illinois' law. The Illinois state law does not require them to sign it. It tries to set it up so that they will default Mm -hmm. to signing it, but they don't have to sign it even under Illinois state law. So this is going to be really interesting to see if a state can effectively force a law enforcement agency to do something that it is not obligated to do under federal law and that potentially enables fraud. So we we should watch it. I, I mean, I hope Chicago PD will start releasing information on these cases that they decided not to certify so that people can see what really goes on in this program. And and, um, my goodness, if you're not getting it signed in Chicago. Yeah, no, that's what I was saying is that Chicago, presumably given the political people in charge of the police department, in charge of the cities, I mean, it's a sanctuary city already. Yes. That's amazing. Can we talk a little bit about what you think sheriffs should do? And Jessica has a a series of recommendations, starting with maybe not signing off applications if there's no actual case that you're going to be prosecuting. Right. Well, the first thing they should do is examine their own practices and they should make sure that the officer who's dedicated to certifying these things understands what the purpose of the program is to help them investigate and prosecute crimes 
and that the so-called victim has to, you know, it has to be a qualifying crime, that they have to have really been traumatized and, and helpful and to train on that. But beyond just staying within the spirit of the program, they should be doing background checks on the people who are applying for these U visas. And they should be communicating with USCIS about the cases. And very importantly, they need to know that they should be reviewing these cases over time, the ones that they have certified, to make sure that the victim has actually been helpful. And if not, they should rescind it. They should have their signature on file with USCIS. That was one reform that USCIS did make after that OIG report, was kind of like the way banks used to be. They're keeping files of law enforcement officer signatures to compare to what because they discovered oh, that people were simply forging these certifications or they were altering the forms to say, like, if the officer said it was this kind of crime, suddenly when it got to USCIS, there was another box check that said felonious assault. Interesting. But more importantly than that, the sheriffs are real stakeholders in this program, as I said, entangled with it. We almost never hear their voices, whether sheriffs or police chiefs or even prosecutors and U.S. attorneys, we never hear their thoughts about the U visa program and whether it's fulfilling its objectives that Congress wanted. And so they need to start acting like stakeholders, communicating with USCIS, telling USCIS where the regulations are, are too lenient, that they need more guidance. I even think that there's a role for state governments to play in writing state laws that prohibit state law enforcement agencies from signing off on these unless the conditions set by federal law are met in the application. In other words, not rubber stamping them. They should be referring cases to U.S. attorneys for prosecution when people are staging crimes. There are definitely things that they can be doing that they're not doing now. And I think that's important, especially in light of these regulations that are coming down the pike, potentially, that we have gotten wind of, that will make a big difference in the ability of people to access this program frivolously. This is actually placing a real burden on some of these police departments and county, especially like smaller county sheriff department. What do they know? federal law or something. In other words, uh, well, I don't know. Well, that's mean, why they sign quite, off on them so easily. They think, well, saying. you know, what's what's the harm in doing this for this nice illegal alien? It's going to help them. Yeah. But I don't think law enforcement agencies want to play a role in facilitating fraud. Right. And providing yet another incentive for illegal aliens to be essentially amnestied. So, this I mean, I want to get John's thoughts on what to do about this, but the kind of stuff you're talking about that police departments and sheriff's departments should do, you know, sort of keep track, see if they actually are helpful, all of that sort of thing. That's just more burden on these law enforcement. I mean, I, I'm not saying that this, that it's wrong. It's just that Congress is creating, it's this unfunded mandate almost dumped by Congress on these law enforcement agencies because they have other things to do. What agency chiefs and sheriffs tell me is that when they are a little bit stingy with these U visa certifications, they people don't stop have that many of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> it's a if deterrent. Not, when you stop giving out lollipops, people stop <laughs> coming to collect lollipops. Yeah, what should we do about this? Well, I mean, what are your thoughts? Getting back to this backlog or wait list of people who are still able to stay here and get work permits, I guess it has to be said that the reason it's so large is because these sheriffs keep signing off on them. It's an obvious point. 
But it's a problem that the sheriffs are, are being forced to participate in. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. But they do have to protect themselves because the last thing they want is tons of people showing up at the doorstep and also falsifying all sorts of crime in their community. I mean, this one case that I mentioned, it was there was an attack outside of McDonald's. Well, if you're watching the local news, there's all these attacks happening outside of McDonald's. Okay, we're not going to McDonald's tonight. Harms right, local yeah. businesses. I mean, the, the damage is so large. Sheriffs have to protect themselves. They have to protect their communities. And they have to say they're not going to be willing participants in a fraud-plagued program that DHS and Congress has yet to fix. You know, it's interesting, back to the DHS Inspector General's office, they looked at some internal reviews that were done by USCIS. And there was a 2018 internal review where the agency said they had, quote, grave concerns about any certification filed after 2016 because many police agencies under threats of lawsuits, quote, unquote, just sign the certifications without actually checking what's in them. Yeah, see, that's what I was thinking is that they're not just protecting their communities from the kind of things you were saying, false crimes and what have you. They're protecting themselves and their budgets from predatory lawsuits by anti-borders Like the one in Chicago. That's what I'm saying, like the one in Chicago. This, This seems to me ripe for ACLU and its various minions and iterations to use their deep pockets to through lawsuits to scare off people, basically. It's nice little sheriff's department you got there, Barney Fife. We're going to sue you into non-existence if you don't start signing all of these applications. Which is why Jessica's point about them being the beneficiaries primarily, they should be thinking about the visa as a benefit to them and not signing off on it if it's not going to benefit result them, in a case. Right, yeah. And the other argument is, is that we have to remember there are times when a U visa is appropriate. Whether we agree that there should be a green card at the end of the process is another story, but there are times when it's used to good effect. And because there are so many applications now and so many of them frivolous, the real people who should be benefiting from this are not able to access. Kind of like asylum again, your analogy there. So, so John, we I mean, all have victim-centered yeah. policing theory, you know, strategies right. now. Well, if you want to be victim-centered, then they ought to Actual, be. Actual real victims, yeah. yeah. There was a second internal review in 2020. They looked at nearly 600 U visa cases and found that in two-thirds of them, police had already completed the case by the time the victim even sought certification, right. meaning that the, the alleged victim's help wasn't even needed. So why would they sign off on them? You Again, know what the, I mean? The pressure. Yeah, the pressure or the unawareness of what they're doing, how, how that affects the system. And that's more of this entitlement mentality that's applied to this. So I think you know, to answer your question, Mark, what do we do about it? I mean, there's a lot of things that can't be done. Waiting for Congress is always the answer to a lot of immigration problems. But to Jessica's point, I think sheriffs need to understand that if there's not a case that's going to be prosecuted, you can stop right there. If there's no case, no one's going to bring the case. There's no evidence of it. Don't waste your time. Move on to the other legitimate cases, which may also include aliens with U visa applications. And those may be legitimate cases. But I would add a second thing. You can tell me if you think this is good or bad. I think even if there is a legitimate case and there is a victim and there was a crime and the local attorneys are going to prosecute this case, I still think the question for the sheriff is, is the victim witness going to actually be deported? If they're here illegally, they can be deported. But under this administration, hardly anyone's getting deported. And what I would suggest is that sheriffs take a look at the Mayorkas guidelines, the DHS guidelines, and see if the applicant 
the person seeking the U visa actually falls into one of those deportable categories. In other words, do they have some serious violent crime that uh, may result in their removal? Of course, that might go other ways as well. You got to really think about that one, I suppose. <laughs> Sometimes uh, but, they do. <laughs> I see. So the point, in other words, is they won't need a U visa because they're right. not going anywhere anyway. Right. So what do they need? Well, they, basically, what they want is a social security number and a work permit. That's kind of the goal. But strictly speaking, they're not going to be deported anyway. So they could always testify even without a U visa. So don't contribute to the backlog. Right. Don't contribute to the fraud. I mean, again, there are legitimate cases here. And the sheriff's Again, unfortunately, they're part of the system now. They have to really be thinking about whether they want this 270, 315,000 person backlog to grow even faster. Yeah. On the other hand, it's not their problem. I mean, you're asking a lot of these law enforcement agencies when, in fact, Congress is the one that created this problem. So let's suppose in two years, there's a Congress with, you know, majorities uh, on both houses and a White House that are amenable to approving changes, what statutory, how should the U visa be changed? I think one thing that should be changed is the list of crimes that are eligible. Mm-hmm. I'm still digging into this, but I think that there are certain crimes that are more easy to falsify. And that's in statute? That's not regulation? Okay. Right. If you take some of those out, maybe that reduces some of the fraud. Also imposing a statute of limitations, saying you know that this crime has to have occurred within a certain period of time in that they're applying for this certification. If this happened three years ago, seven years ago. In the 50s, I was mugged. Right. Uh, so give me a green card. Yes. And I once did a radio interview alongside an illegal alien who said that you know he got a U visa. When he was arrested by ICE, he told his lawyer that he had been mugged seven years ago <laughs> and he got his visa. Unbelievable. So yeah. And also this emphasizing that these certifications can be rescinded if the applicant does not cooperate, holding that over their head. Once they get a green card, though, then it's game over, right? right? Yeah. The basics of it, you know, instead of just allowing everyone to get the benefits upon filing, do some background checks. You know, don't give out the benefits until their case is more ripe and, and until USCIS has actually done a background check, made sure they're eligible and given some scrutiny to the application. And of course, I do think we need just generally bars on getting benefits if you're a gang member, if you have a certain criminal history, you know, to tighten up those ineligibilities on criminal grounds so that this doesn't become the MS-13 legalization program. So if this was created in 2000, what did law enforcement do before then? There were still a lot of illegal aliens in the country at the time. In other words... They could use parole. That's that what was I'm saying. A so, legitimate use of significant public benefit parole. Yeah. So why in, con- even, in conjunction with then INS. Yeah. My point is, isn't there a case to make for just abolishing this thing altogether and just, you know, basically education campaign, okay, there is this thing called parole and you can use it as a substitute for real cases, but this U visa thing is just a scam and we're getting rid of it. Well, I think that gets to the point of who's who's running the program. Whereas with parole, you have ICE officers, you have law enforcement-minded people, whereas with the U visa, you've got benefits, adjudicators. All the more reason to get rid of it altogether. (laughs) I mean, it seems to me, I don't know, uh, because obviously you can't just sort of get rid of everything, but and there's going to be a lot of areas where you need to make tweaks here and there. But at some point, you're sort of playing the anti-borders people's game by accepting this as something that's legitimate. And now, okay, we're going to try to make it a little less bad. 
National Review's first issue said, we are standing athwart history yelling stop. Well, this is sort of standing athwart amnesty and saying, well, slow down a little bit. It just seems to me that there's no rationale for giving green cards to people. I mean, I understand the idea of illegal immigrants being able to testify and to help law enforcement in serious cases. There's a case to make for that, but it seems to me that's a separate thing from the U visa. Or make it a truly temporary visa. I mean, a U visa is a temporary visa. It doesn't have to have a green card at the end of the process. I mean, I suppose that Congress debated this too when they were first creating it, which is probably why. Yeah, maybe, or they just all raised their hands and said, yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, and then they're all like, oh, we're capping it at 10,000. Well, that's the point I was going to get to is we have a 10,000 person limit. And if that was Congress's intent and we're giving out work permits to 300,000 people, then is congressional intent really being met? And if not, what's Congress going to do about it? Same thing with asylum. I mean, it's only 10,000 asylees a year get green cards. And yet, I mean, in a sense, this is just another issue. It's probably a whole other show, but caps that aren't caps. You know what I mean? I mean, the immigration system is loaded with these pierceable caps and they're not really caps. And there's a cap on the final stage, but no cap on the earlier stage. Anyway, the whole thing is kind of ridiculous. I think we've talked U visas to death here. We are going to have some report or reports on this coming down the line. And maybe when we do that, we'll have you guys back to talk about it. And we'll also put on our podcast on our website at cis.org a link to the DHS OIG report, which we've cited a few times. Didn't really get a chance to get into much detail there, but it was a very interesting report. And they basically concluded that USCIS did not fully address U visa program fraud risks and went through a number of reasons as to why this is extremely problematic. And of course, the Biden administration pushed back on a few of the recommendations, and it's definitely worth taking a look at. But they have not fully answered or met their obligations to adopt the recommendations of the OIG. And there's another role for any members of Congress that want to do some oversight is, you know, why haven't they done this? Interesting. Okay, good. But in the meantime, until we can get Congress to do something, I'd be happy if sheriff's departments and police departments would think twice before signing. And so this is now, what are we talking each year? How many applications now? What's it running at? In 2022, it was about 29,000. Yeah. So we're talking basically 30,000 illegal aliens a year are amnestied through this one part of the various the sort of archipelago of amnesty programs. This is one of them. Well, it was as high as 63,000 in 2017. Right, right. yeah. So I think it probably came down during the pandemic, but it's going to shoot It right came down up. before the pandemic just because of the Trump administration tightening up. USAS decided to actually look at fraud for the first time in years. Okay, well, thank you guys. And uh, we'll have that OIG report, a link to it in the show notes. And we will have you back when there's more to say about this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Parsing Immigration Policy. This is Mark Krikorian, and I hope you'll tune in next week. Thank you. 